Clearly, Jesus is telling his disciples that the first priority in your life is the kingdom of God. The first priority. Seek that first. Make that your number one priority. To illustrate this concept that the kingdom of God has the highest value and worth, he gives two parables to his disciples. And it's the parables we're going to look at this morning. It's the parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of the pearl of great price in Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 46. The parable of the hidden treasure. Again, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and he hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. It's important to note that Jesus is telling this parable to these disciples at a time when they were stripped of their grand dreams of an immediate powerful kingdom of David and facing prospect of opposition on all sides. There are many people within our nation who had grand dreams of the future that may have just gone out the window, facing all kinds of conflict, opposition on all sides, whether it be COVID and whether it's national crisis or personal crisis. In the midst of it all, what's the priority? What's the priority? I think people who get very upset and angry in the midst of all what's going on, or hurt, lose focus of what's, what, can, what is our priority as Christians. What's our priority as believers? Jesus says it's the kingdom. And in these two parables, that, these short parables that Jesus gives, I want to kind of unpack the uh, characteristics of the kingdom within these uh, two parables. The first characteristic of the kingdom I want to look at is the diverse recipients of the kingdom. In the first parable, Jesus tells us about a man who finds a treasure in a field. Now, this may seem odd to us, but finding treasure that is buried underground does still happen. Back in 2014, a California couple was walking their dog when they noticed the top of a rusty can buried in the ground underneath a tree on their property. After digging up and opening the can to find Gold Rush-era coins inside, the couple went back to the same spot and found several more cans all filled with gold. The total amount of gold coins that were found was worth over $10 million. I want to move to California. <laughs> look, look, look for some rusty old cans in the backyard. There were few clues at the site as to who left the treasure under the tree. The couple has since decided to keep their names and the exact location quiet for obvious reasons. Certainly finding a treasure like this buried underground would be a rare find in our day. But it wasn't in Jesus' day. It wasn't rare. Palestine was known as a region where many wars were fought, 
When people heard of an impending invasion of an enemy, they would often hide their valuables in their fields for security since they did not have banks and safes like we do today. Oftentimes, the owner died before he could recover the valuables, leaving them buried in the ground. What is interesting to note in the first parable is that the man who found the treasure is not the owner of the field. All the other details of the parable actually are shaped by this fact. The man, probably a hired farmhand, working the land on behalf of the landowner, does not possess the field in which the treasure is found. And according to rabbinic law, if a man lifts the treasure from its hiding place, he was now legally bound to hand the treasure over to the one who owns the land. But if he can purchase the field, then the land and everything in it, including the treasure, would legally belong to him. In other words, this man's entire situation and the whole of the parable depends on his economic standing and his status. He is not a wealthy landowner. He is hired help. On the other hand, in the second parable, the central character is not a poor hired laborer, but a wealthy merchant. He makes his living in what was then the lucrative trade of fine pearls. They were in great demand in Jesus' day. You could get a poor quality pearl from the Red Sea. The best came from the Persian Gulf or even as far away as India or Sri Lanka, which means that a merchant who deals in fine pearls would have to travel widely, extensively to track down the best products. In this case, after searching who knows how long and traveling who knows how far, the merchant has at last found a pearl with more than anything, worth more than anything else. This man is set in contrast to the man who finds the buried treasure. This particular individual is wealthy and he's rich. He travels internationally in pursuit of his business interests. The other is poor, a hired laborer, eking out a living, working with his hands. Both, however, are recipients of the kingdom. Both find treasure. Also notice another contrast between these two men. The first man is simply busy about his tasks when all of a sudden he discovers the treasure hidden in the field. He has no metal detector. He's not out looking for treasure. He's not thinking about treasure. He expects no changes in his circumstances at all. He's plowing the field when his plow hits something that doesn't sound like a rock and his wonder and his world is turned upside down in an instant. On the other hand, the second man, he understands treasure. He's been actively seeking it. This is what he does for a living. This is his life. Pearls are his business and he's dedicated himself to finding them. And he's seen plenty Plenty of them all over, all over the place. When suddenly all of his searching comes to an end. He doesn't need to search anymore. He finds one pearl. Now he can retire on it. It's a pearl worth more than anything else that he ever has or has had. These are the recipients of the kingdom. They're diverse. They're different. They're unlike, dissimilar. These are the people of God. These are disciples. Some are rich, some are poor. Some go looking for answers and perhaps search for a long time 
when at last, by God's grace, they find the pearl of great price, the Lord Jesus Christ, to the salvation of their souls. And others are oblivious to the true poverty of their lives until the treasure lands in their lap and God takes hold of them and makes them his own. There's an important lesson for us here about the nature of the kingdom and those who belong to it. We don't all look alike and our stories don't all sound alike. And that's the way it's supposed to be. Black and white, rich and poor. Ivy League scholars and high school dropouts. High profile citizens and nobodies from nowhere are the types who belong in the kingdom through faith in Jesus. There are no types who, if they trust in Jesus, do not belong in his kingdom, which means, of course, that you have a place here. You have a place here if you believe in Jesus. There are no outsiders. There are no insiders in the kingdom of heaven. There is neither Greek nor Jew, slave nor free, male or female, for all are one in Christ Jesus in Galatians 3.28. So if today you trust Jesus Christ, you, are, you have a home here among the people of God, regardless of where you went to school or where you didn't go to school, how much you make or how long you've been in welfare. You have a home here in the church, regardless of how you speak or the color of your skin or your political persuasion. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are part of the diverse recipients of the kingdom of God. That's what these two parables indicate to us. Secondly, these two parables of the kingdom um, are incomparable. They reveal to us an incomparable value, these two parables concerning the kingdom. Notice what the two men with very different means available to them do. They sell all that they have to buy the field and the pearl. They'd done a careful cost-benefit analysis. They placed the total worth of everything in their lives on the one side of the scales and the total value of the treasure and of the pearl on the other, other side of the scale only to find the benefits of possessing the treasure, the total worth of the pearl, far outweighs everything they have or could ever gain. Jesus Christ having him and knowing him, enjoying the forgiveness that he can provide, being adopted into his family, made heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, being changed into his likeness from one degree of glory to another, being guided in all our confusions, comforted in all our sorrows, rebuked in all of our wanderings, preserved through all of our dangers, and brought safely home at last. All of that makes Jesus Christ infinitely, infinitely precious so that all who have him can say, you are my treasure, you are the pearl of great price, more valuable to me than anything and anyone else. To live without Jesus is to live in utter poverty needlessly, because there's treasure for you, there's treasure for everyone in the person of Jesus Christ, who is raised from the dead and now sits on the throne, waiting to come again in glory the incomparable value of the kingdom. And thirdly, this, these two parables uh, communicate to us the expulsive power of the kingdom. Expulsive power. 
The language comes from Thomas Chalmers, one of the founders of the Free Church of Scotland. He says, The gospel of Jesus Christ is expulsive in its power. It expels lesser treasures. It awakens a new appetite, a new affection, a new longing in the heart that nothing but Jesus can fill. And that longing and that delight in Christ Jesus expels every rival. And that is what Jesus says happens in the heart of the person who, who found the treasure. In his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. The treasure has captured his heart and nothing else comes close to mattering to him in comparison to it. He has relinquished all with joy. He delights to have the treasure. The treasure possesses him before he possesses the treasure. The treasure possesses him before he possesses the treasure. There is a new affection that rules his heart and expels everything else that once seemed dear and precious and valuable. Is there something in your life that you're not expelling? Does he possess you? To obtain the field, this individual must sell all that he has. It's the great challenge. To buy the pearl, the merchant must relinquish his other treasures, his other values. You can't have both. To take hold of the infinitely valuable grace of God in Christ Jesus, one must relinquish one's hold on the lesser treasures of life on your own terms. We can't have both. To put our hand in the Savior's hand, one must let go of the counterfeit treasures to which we have been clinging. You know, we think we can always recognize a wealthy person, a materially wealthy person. You know, they often display their wealth in the things that they wear, the cars that they drive, the house that they live in, their jewelry. Some of them can be very flamboyant with their, their ornaments. Their lives are filled with the adornments of their riches. If Christ is your treasure, does it show in your life and in my life in the way that you are centered on him? Does your life and my life display the value of Jesus Christ that exists within your own heart? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, is where your priorities are going to be. These two parables teach us three lessons. The, diversity, the, the diverse recipients of the kingdom, the incomparable value of the kingdom, and the expulsive power of the kingdom. When our priority is the kingdom... It helps us keep focused on what's truly important. And the things that go on around us will fade. And we won't get upset like we would be if we didn't have our eyes upon the kingdom. And of course, Jesus is the kingdom. Wherever Jesus went, 
the kingdom was revealed and exposed in power. In word as he spoke, in miracles that he wrought, in the lives of those that he came across and changed. And he has called you and me to continue that ministry. But we can't do that if our priorities are out of whack. May we be centered on the gospel, on Christ, and on his kingdom. Because it is our values and our priorities on the kingdom that's going to make us different from the people who don't in this world. And hopefully, they will be drawn to us like a, like a moth to a flame. And in the process, they too will find the treasure at great price, the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you please pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the parables that you give, the lessons that they teach us. Lord, you are worthy of all praise and glory and honor. The reason why we're here this morning is to give you glory and praise and honor. And though, Lord, we do live in a turbulent world, in a, living in a turbulent time, may we always be focused and centered on you and on your kingdom. Help us not to be pulled down in the things of this life that will keep us from reaching our full potential in you. It's easy to be discouraged living in the times in which we live, Lord, and seeing what we see and hearing what we hear. But help us, Lord, to be your kingdom people on this earth and to know who we are in Christ and that we will keep your kingdom our top priority. And when we do that, things will become clear. We will have the peace that you alone can provide. And we will give you all the praise and the glory for what you do in us and through us. We give you the praise always. May you come quickly, Lord Jesus. But at the same time, we also pray that you will work in the lives of those family members and friends who do not know you. We pray for them and for their salvation. We pray that they would have their scales fall from their eyes so that they may know the one who is holy and true, the one who was and is and is to come. Lord, we pray that you will do a mighty work in us and through us to reach those people around us so that they can receive you, the pearl of great price, great treasure. Amen.